You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 97 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Between Static and Silence. Between Static and Silence are a Stafford, England band attempting to break into the music scene by not conforming to conventional norms. With influences ranging from rock and roll roots to fast-paced heavy metal, they avoid falling into any particular genre. The band is currently working on an EP to be released very soon, and their first single, The Fiction of Addiction, is out right now on all streaming platforms. And it was mastered by yours truly, Chris Swinney, of that one time on tour. For more information on the band, you can check them out on facebook.com forward slash between static and silence and on Instagram at BSAS band. Now here it is, their new single, The Fiction of Addiction.
Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey, what's up? This is Rick DeVoe, and you are listening to that one time on tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed tomorrow, we'll do it. We'll do it all again everybody out there in podcast land what is going on this is chris swinney as always i am your host for that one time on tour if you're joining us for the first time this is my podcast where i get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation are you guys staying healthy out there out there in the world the global pandemic the coronavirus covid19 is upon us and it's literally freaking me out a little bit. I just uh, returned from the Pacific Northwest. I took my mother out to visit some family out in Oregon and uh, had a wonderful trip. I got to go hang out with Dewey from uh, Pure Pleasure Podcast. We did a little crossover episode, which will be out in a while. And I just had a really good time. And the whole time my mom was talking about the coronavirus and I was kind of making fun of her. She was wearing wearing a mask in the airport and everything. And I was like, man, this is just, it's not real. It's, you know, just being a, being a pessimist. I just didn't know. I didn't know the severity of it, you know? And then on the way home, uh, we had a layover in Salt Lake City. And I saw a lot of people wearing masks. And uh, it was kind of starting to freak me out a little bit. <laughs> And then I got home and all hell broke loose. And uh, I'm glad I got home when I did because I have a lot of friends that are trying to get home from different places now from overseas and whatnot. And I know they're having some issues, but uh, I'm glad to be home. I'm feeling very healthy, even though I was in Seattle and a lot of places that I guess are, are pretty, they're struck pretty bad by this thing. And uh, I've been home now for about a week and I have no symptoms. So I think I'm doing okay. I've worked a couple days. A lot of my students have called off, which I, I don't blame them at all. I'm trying to decide if I'm going to continue to work because uh, I was supposed to have like 12 kids Monday and I ended up having like five. So so it's it's getting it's getting a little crazy. And, you know, the government's saying it might last till August. And I don't know. A lot of my friends are out of work. They're, every band imaginable has canceled their tours. And I just, 
I'm feeling for all my friends. Like, you know, I, I think I'll be okay, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm self-employed and it's, it's a little scary if I don't work for the next month or so. I'm, I, I think I'm going to be okay, but it's, you know, it's just, it's a scary thing. And I hope that you guys are doing well out there. And I was really excited to get to this episode just to kind of talk to you guys and let you know how much I appreciate you for listening. And uh, I just hope you're doing well. I don't know anybody that has the coronavirus, but that's a good thing. Uh, but it keeps, you know, every day I hear of more and more people that it's, it's kind of, it's just exponentially going up. And <clears throat> I know that I have some friends in Italy that were hit pretty hard. Um, I don't know anybody that's actually been affected by it, but I know that that, that country, Italy, is is really, really bad off right now. So uh, props to all my friends over in Italy, especially, you know, anybody listening from Italy, if you, you need anything or you just want to talk or whatever, hit me up, Podcast at gmail.com. And anybody else, too, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. I mean, I went to the grocery store the other day, and, of course, no toilet paper, and uh, they didn't have my pork rinds. I was kind of pissed off because... As you know, if you listen to this podcast, I'm doing the keto diet and pork rinds are a staple in my diet right now. And they didn't have my pork rinds and I was pissed off. But uh, yeah, so people are here in Indiana, I guess they're hoarding toilet paper and pork rinds. But um, I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're finding toilet paper. I know it's all over Facebook, people making fun of people like that. And I, I, I don't really get it. I don't know, like I there's food at all my grocery stores. And you kind of need the food before you can use the toilet paper. So I, I don't understand it. If you can explain to me why people need that much toilet paper, hit me up. And if you're one of those people out there that are buying it and hoarding it and then putting it on Marketplace and eBay for like $60 a roll, fuck you. That's what I got to say to you. So, uh, yeah. So I hope you guys are doing well with the pandemic that is upon us. And uh, hopefully it's going to blow over. I'm going to keep doing these episodes. I just did a wonderful chat today with uh, Fred from formerly of Taking Back Sunday. And that's coming out in a couple weeks. And I'll tell you, because of this, like, you know, social distancing thing and all the bands losing their tours and canceling everything. In the last four days, I have had more emails from publicists than I've ever had in my entire life. And I just I've just booked like my next 10 weeks out of interviews. So uh, the podcast is kind of thriving, even though no one else is. Uh, so, yeah, we got a lot of great guests coming up, some crazy guests coming up as well. It was kind of everybody's at home. So everybody's like, hey, Chris, let's talk on your podcast. So it's going to be really cool in the coming weeks. So thank you for checking this episode out. Today's guest is a good one. And I'm not going to make this this intro super, super long. I want to get to it because it's a long conversation. I got to talk to my buddy Rick DeVoe. Rick is a manager. He's a promoter. He's worked with so many great bands, most notably Blink-182, Newfound Glory, Pennywise, Unwritten Law. He's uh, he's now managing the, the Bomb Pops. He's managing the Aqua Dolls. I just had Melissa on the program a while back, and Jen from the from the Bomb Pops is coming on the show in a couple weeks to talk about the new record. So it's I don't know, man. Rick is just such a good dude. He's got some great stories, and uh, it was really really fun talking to him on the podcast. And we, at the end of the podcast, we talk a little bit about an idea for that one time on tour on tour. <laughs> <laughs> 
you'll have to wait and hear about that. But we, we've talked about it quite a bit. I thought it was kind of a joke, but it, it might be something that might happen in the future. And if anybody can make it happen, it's Rick, because that dude is a hard worker and he knows his shit. So, uh, yeah, before I get to my conversation with Rick, which you are going to love, I need to pay some bills. As always, my sponsors are the most amazing sponsors in the world. The band at the beginning, Between Static and Silence, yours truly, Chris Swinney, mastered the track that you heard, The Fiction of Addiction. They're a wonderful, ba- wonderful band out of England, and uh, you guys need to check them out. So uh, just check them out, Between Static and Silence. They're available everywhere. Permanence Tattoo Gallery, Anderson, Indiana, downtown Meridian Street. Uh, on all the socials, at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. My buddy Jacob Harrison over there. I hope you're doing well, buddy. I saw that you guys are going to be closing the doors for a while, but it's probably better. But when this thing blows over, go on over to Anderson and get tattooed at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Merge 4 Socks. I love Merge 4 so much. They have amazing socks. You guys need to check them out. Head on over to Merge4.com. And if you want to order some stuff for Merge 4, email me, hit me up on the socials, and I will give you a coupon code for 50% off your order. So hit me up if you're interested. Go on over to Merge 4 and check out their stuff. Shout out to Cindy. Thank you so much for sponsoring some more episodes. I really appreciate it. And we have a new sponsor this week. Signed on for some episodes. Start Famous. Start Famous is an awesome print shop out of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And uh, they make merch for bands, labels, and everyone in between. They have crazy fast turnaround, amazing high-quality products. You guys aren't going to believe it. If you need anything for your band or your company or your family reunion or whatever, go to startfamous.com. And you can use the promo code TOTOT10, that's one zero, TOTOT10, and you get 10% off your first order. So uh, shout out to Start Famous. You guys go on over to startfamous.com and check it out. Okay, so that is all the sponsors for this episode. Please check out my sponsors. They really do help this thing go. And when you guys check them out and they know that you heard about them on this show, they keep doing it. So go check them out. Uh, if you want to become a sponsor, if you have a band or a company, you can hit me up, podcast at gmail.com. If you don't have a band or a company, you can sign up over on the Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash podcast. Get involved on one of the financial tiers, and you get some cool bonus content, and you get to just sleep better at night knowing you're helping the podcast. Now, uh, you know, with everybody not working and everything. If anybody out there is listening to this and you guys enjoy the show, you don't want to do the monthly thing on Patreon. You don't have a company or a band. You don't want to sponsor an episode. If you like the show, tip me like they're tipping all these people on on the internet playing music. I'm not playing music, but hopefully you're getting something out of this show. It's always going to be free, but if you guys feel like you enjoy the show and it's worth something to you, Venmo me like a dollar. (laughs) Maybe it'll help out. It'd be really cool if you guys would do that. If not, of course, that's totally fine. And I'm not begging for money. But if you guys want to help me out in this time of uncertainty, just Venmo me like a dollar or Venmo me 50 cents, a dime, whatever you want to do. Uh, My Venmo is at Christopher Swinney, at Christopher Swinney. And once again, if you don't want to do that, don't do it. 
but there's a lot of ways to help out the show. The easiest way to help out the show is to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen and to make sure you're following us on all of the social media platforms. It's at T-O-T-O-T podcast. Okay, so that's it. This intro got away from me. It's usually about this length and I'm trying to get it shorter. I hope you guys are safe and healthy and we're going to get through this. And if nothing else, you can count that you can count on the fact that there's going to be a new episode of that one time on tour every week to help you guys get through this bullshit. So without further ado, I'm going to jump into my conversation with Mr. Rick DeVoe. It's such a good one. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Rick DeVoe. How are you doing today, Rick? Yeah, what's up, buddy? I'm doing great. <laughs> that's that's cool, man. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's probably, I talk about the weather a lot here on the beginning of the episodes. Here in Indiana, where I am, we're supposed to get a huge snowstorm tomorrow, but I'm sure it's oh, no. re- really nice where you're at on the West Coast, right? Yeah, you know, it's I'm I'm here in Orange County, California, and it's t-shirt weather. It's 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 very warm. I'm starting to get hot actually. We're loading up the tour van, so it's it's gorgeous. Love it. <laughs> I tell you, man, I've been very, very jealous since you and I started, you know, talking and kind of <laughs> you know, becoming friends. I, I've been seeing all of your Instagram posts on your boat and down in Mexico and stuff. And I gotta yes. I gotta say I'm jealous because it's really winter where I'm at right now. <laughs> Oh yeah, no man. I'm I'm like a lizard, dude. I, I gotta I need the sun. I follow the sun. I, I want the endless summer constantly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, you know, here at the beginning of the podcast, I'd kind of like to talk a little bit about that endless summer because uh, I you know you've done so much. You've worked with great bands like Blink One Eighty Two, Newfound Glory, yeah, Unwritten Law. But I know that you kind of all of that started through surfing. So could you kind of walk yes. me back in time to how you got involved with the music scene? Yeah, man. Um, well, for starters, I grew up as a surfer and I just, it it was the best thing ever. It was my identity. And, um, when I would be hanging out the beach, you know, we started, you know, obviously the next step is getting into music and I really fell in love with mod music and I was just obsessed with the specials and the jam and madness and, and all that stuff. And so in the, in the eighties in the early eighties, uh, you know, we'd be hanging out at the beach, listening to our freaking big Walkmans and stuff, listening to music. And I just was so, it was just so important to, to be able to listen to cool music. And for me being a surfer. And so I grew up surfing Malibu and I really got heavily into music and I decided that I was going to join the, uh, or start the surf club at my high school. And the be- we had to do a fundraiser. They made it, that was one of the requirements. So I, I put together a show with my friend's band uh, called, uh, I think they were called Toast or something like, oh no, the, the Checks, the Checks, that's right. And, and, and so they, they played in our, in our auditorium and a freaking slam pit broke it out. Like it was insane. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is incredible. And the whole show got shut down. Uh, the band, they shut us off. You know, they're just like, you surfers are derelicts, you know? And I was like, Oh, I like this. This is, the, <laughs> I, I got like, it literally was like, it just was like a light bulb went on my head. I'm like, wait a minute. This is, there's something really cool about this. So I, I started becoming friends with some local bands and then, um, there was this band called Coup d'etat. They, I, they're not a band anymore, but they were popular in the LA uh, area. And I started kind of pounding around with those guys. And then I just started 
realizing I'm like, man, I've, I've, I've got all these friends at the beach. I'm going to try to throw a party and and I'm going to do it at, at like a real venue. So I picked the whiskey, a go-go in Hollywood wow. and I re- I rented out the whiskey for my first show and I called it the big dummy jam. And I had all these, all these surfers come to the show because we premiered like a surf movie and I got, I got hold of my buddies worked at like, Pacific Sunwear and Quicksilver and things like that. And we threw part, we threw a party and it was basically a surf movie premiere with a bunch of these like local bands and it went off. I sold it out and the owner of the whiskey was like, what the, f- what it, what, this is not normal Hollywood people. Like, and I'm telling you like cars pulled up. It was like something out of the sixties, like parked in front of the whiskey with their boards on top. And everyone was just like, going to the show. So it went off so hard. I I just was like, okay, I've got something here. So I started obsessing on these surf movies made by the director, Taylor Steele and Taylor Steele is a legend. They just did a whole documentary on them called the momentum generation on HBO. And it won a bunch of awards. It literally just came out the momentum generation. So when I lived in South Michigan beach, I was going to SDSU I saw him filming in front of my house and I noticed the surfers. Oh, I saw a guy filming. I'm like, those surfers are way too good to be surfing mission beach. Like what is going on? And then I looked, I saw a guy with a video camera. I'm like, what if that's Taylor Steele? So I ran over to the guy and I go, are you Taylor Steele? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I love your surf movies, man. That's how I found out about Pennywise and bad religion was from your surf movies. And he's like, no way. And I'm like, Hey, I I put these shows together called the big dummy jams. And I would love to try to get hold of uh, epitaph and try to get hold of like Pennywise and offspring and stuff. And maybe take your movie, you know, your next movie you're filming for take it on tour or, you know, or do like a little West coast run. And he's like, that's insane. And I got to meet the guys he was filming at the time. I think it was like Shane Dorian and Keith Malloy. They're a big time. Shane Dorian is actually still very relevant in the big wave world. But I was just like so starstruck because I watched their videos. Like, you know, that's how I learned about Kelly Slater and Rob Machado and all these guys that are just like legends today. Um, so I reached out to Epitaph. I met uh, Jeff Abarda and Brett Gerowitz, yeah. um, and I told them what I wanted to do. And they were like, hell yeah, because they put um, they supported Taylor <clears throat> in the first one called Momentum. And so I, I started promoting, and I reached out to um, Stormy Shepard, who booked Offspring at the time. And she was in Salt Lake City, and I'm like, what's up? I'm Rick DeVoe. I'm, 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 I'm a promoter, and I'm – you know, like I'm going to put this show together with all these surfers at the whiskey um, with Taylor Steele's surf movie premiere. So we did it and she sold me offspring for 500 bucks. Wow. It was so bitching, man. And Brian, I remember when we rolled to the whiskey, now everyone is starting to like, this was my second one, right? So everyone knew about it. And so I made all my tickets at Kinko's and I got all these sponsors and man, I had like the entire surf industry sponsoring this thing. So like, we were throwing stuff from the stage. I hired uh, Angelo from Fishbone to be my MC, and you know he was like hurting for work at the time. <laughs> and I paid him like five hundred bucks to MC the whole thing. It was so fun, and and we gave away 
boards and in wetsuits and you know my bros would run up and hang BAs off the stage and dive into the crowd and 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 the offspring played man and the surf movie happened and all these pro surfers were there and dude it was insane it was like insane and so obviously the next one i'm like okay i gotta do another one of these i'm gonna do them in san diego because i lived in san diego but i was brought up in la so i got hold of pennywise and i got i um i met their booking agent andy summers and who's still good friends of mine today uh he actually got the aqua dolls on a pennywise show in phoenix for me last december andy used (laughs) andy used to book my old band the ataris no way yeah Yeah, yeah. right andy's a great guy dude i remember going meeting him pulling up in my 67 bug on freaking beverly hills and this you know when he worked at icm and i walk in i'm like yeah man i I got this idea and i want to package these bands and you know i i started uh managing this band called unwritten law they're super cool and 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 i i don't want to i just want to throw surf parties all around he's like rad let's do it <laughs> and, 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 and then i'm like oh really and he's like yeah and, and i'm like well I, I i you know i'll produce this he's like, i'll put 500 bucks in the budget for you for every show i'm like yes dude i was freaking out because i'm like producing shows that were all surf related with now what to become literally some of my like 30 year long friendships right it was insane, dude. And that's when I got to meet Pennywise. And like to this day, still my favorite band of all time. Oh, yeah. And Jimmy and I are very close. We talk. I just talked to him. I hooked him up to go surfing. He's, he's in Australia right now with Pennywise and Strung Out. Um, and uh, yeah, man, we stayed real close. And so I met those guys and we did a show at this theater. I rented it out. Two nights with Pennywise at the La Paloma Theater in Encinitas. It's a classic, classic surf movie uh, movie theater venue where you know dated back to like the sixties and seventies where all the surf films would would uh, premiere. So here I had Momentum Two with Pennywise playing. Two sold out nights. Every pro surfer in the freaking planet was there. Kelly Slater, <laughs> you name it. Taylor Knox, the Malloys. I mean, Benji Weatherly, everybody who was in the momentum generation, you know? And I like literally, I like became like this rock star dude because of what I was doing. And I just made this stuff up from scratch, dude. I just literally followed my passions for surf, <clears throat> comboed it which uh with my love for music which was so heavily in the mod which morphed into the socal punk scene and all of a sudden i'm in the game and and dude the the la paloma theater that guy allen who ran it he'd call me like he would chase me guys like trying where's devall they're ripping the seats out of my theater this theater's been here (laughs) since 1850 and i was like oh my gosh like and then bro him happened. Oh, oh my, my God. gosh, yeah. dude. People were, th- this theater, you got to understand, this thing was built in like the 1800s. It's a historical landmark in Encinitas, our beach town. And people were climbing up the gutters, trying to get in because it's sold out. It was like, it was just one of those legend concerts that to this day, people still say it was like one of the best things they ever did in their life, you know? So somehow I talked him into letting me do the second night because the first night was so gnarly. I mean, bro him, 
there was there was just as many people on stage as there was in the audience. I mean, wow. it was chaos. It was early Broham mania, right? Yeah. So so that was insane and that got me going and all of a sudden I wanted more. I wanted to promote more and I get this call from this big time promoter named Bill Silva and he was you know he's still big time man and he's like, "Hey, we hear you're doing all these shows. Um, our club in San Diego, which I'm sure you played, Chris, was called Soma. Oh, definitely, yeah. Okay, so check this out. Soma lost their lease. Okay. So now there's no Soma. There's only the Casbah. Which I've like, played the Casbah as well. <laughs> which yeah, which is 21 and up, and and there's no Soma. So. All of a sudden, I'm in pole. I start like moving up the ranks here with these epitaph bands, and I realize there's no Soma, and I'm like, "This is my time." So I went out. I would drive the, the mean streets of San Diego looking for abandoned movie theaters, and I found this reggae club. <laughs> Dude, there's this reggae club, and it helped like 300 people. Wow! And I'm like, okay. I've got to make my next move. Land from Soma, who I'm still, now we're friends with. Then he hated me, but now we're totally rad, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, he hated me. <laughs> I moved in. I got hold of this guy named Fat Mike. You might have heard of him, I've, right? Yeah, I've, I've met Mike a few times. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a really good singer. He's really good, <laughs> and he dances really good. Um, I would say he's he, a better bass player, but I don't want him to get mad at me. <laughs> so... I call, I get hold of him from Epitaph and I call him up and he's like, Hey, what's up? And, and I'm just like, yo dude, like this is what I'm doing. One of your songs was in a Taylor Steele mo movie. Uh, it was called, uh, uh gosh, I, it, it, it's got to come to me. Um, I'll remember it. But, and he's like, Oh yeah. Epitaph must've gave it to him. Now Mike didn't surf. Yeah. Mike was straight up from the punk rock scene of LA um, you know, no effects, the grim, all these bands that grew, you know, were like the Valley scene, which I knew of no effects, you know, going to high school. Um, when Mike was like 15, 16, we used to cross paths at parties, but I never knew him. But this, this is how I got hold of no effects. And I told him I got this club and everything. Dude, he bit. He's like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. Awesome. So I promoted my no effects show and the gnarly thing about it was, the capacity was two ninety nine, and nine hundred people showed up. Jeez, man! Did, did, the, and, did the fire marshal show up? Oh, dude, it was gnarly. Okay, so I go, Mike. All these people, like the line, we were at capacity, and the line was still around the corner. You know, and I was just like, I'm like, what do you want to do? He's like, let's charge it. Let's just charge it. I'm like, all right. So we got everybody in, and then all of a sudden, the fire marshal shows up. Somebody called him, and I, you know, I have a feeling I know who it was. But somebody called them, and and there was only four songs left. And we went out, we're like, Mr. Officer, with all due respect, if we shut this down, there could be a riot. Oh, yeah. Okay, this is no – I mean, it was going off. White trash, two heaps in a bean, just blew up, epitaph blowing up. I mean, it was going off in there. And I go, four songs left, and I'll make sure we do the proper etiquette and get everyone out of here and be quiet. He's like – all right, that sounds good. Let's just do that. <laughs> yeah. And he walked away and we finished the show and it was so badass, dude. And then all of a sudden, Big Dummy Productions was like on the map. 
And I started getting every punk rock band. Every, I got rancid. I had rancid sleeping on my floor. Paid him four, four or five hundred bucks. With I throw them on shows at the skate parks. And and dude, I remember waking up one morning, coming out, seeing Tim Armstrong's face in my carpet, like laying <laughs> down on my carpet. I was like, whoa, that's heavy. With his like spikes, he had all these like crazy punk like mohawk spikes. And and it was it was rad. I took them all wakeboarding and stuff. But Stormy Shepherd was such a doll, and she booked all the punk. She booked all the best bands. She had no effects, rancid, and except Pennywise was Andy. But so I started doing this, and then I get a call from um, Bill Silva, who's the big dog in San Diego. He's like, "Hey, I want you to come work for me. You have this band called Offspring that's blowing up, and I want you to work for me." And he's like, "I'm going to pay you like." You know, and I got like 25 grand. I was like, yeah, dude, this is insane. Oh my gosh, I'm getting paid to throw punk rock shows. So I went in there and two days later, I had this skinny kid walk in my office. I mean, it was maybe it was like a month actually. And at this point, I'm managing Unwritten Law. I'm putting Unwritten Law on every single show I possibly can as main support for Rancid, Offspring, and all my new friends that I've become friends with. And this six foot three bleached hat bleached hair shaved head kid walks in in a white t-shirt and he's like hey what's up bro i'm tom from blink and, and he's like he's and, and i'm like oh yeah um i've heard of you and he's like yeah man he's like dude you do all the best shows and he goes we need a manager and i'm like oh okay and he's like dude what you know we just sold out the side stage at soma we're, we're recording a record and and and, and this no, is before be, no. this is before they were Blink One Eighty Two, right? Yeah, this is Blink, yeah. you know. And and they hadn't even put out Cheshire Cat. And I was like, I looked at him. I'm like, What do you do for a living? He's like, Dude. He's like, I drive concrete. He's like, I drive trucks and I and I tow haul concrete around. And I'm like, And he's all and I'm trying to be. I was in the fire academy, but you got kicked out or something. I'm like. Yeah, what the hell? Let's do it. I'll manage you. <laughs> like side side unseen, you didn't really know like side what... unseen. Never even seen him play. Wow, man. That's that's gotta almost feel kind of like fate, you know, in hindsight's twenty twenty, right? Hell yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> I and I'm like, all right, so like I've got this band on law I manage. He's like, Yeah, no, we know you well, they're awesome. And and I'm like, all right, well, I'm gonna introduce you to the surf scene. And, you know, fast forward, I, I end up, we, we started another tour called the Good Times Tour. And this time, this tour went international. And I got that tour not only on the West Coast, the East Coast, but I took it to Australia and Hawaii. Wow. And it was Pennywise, and it was Blink, and it was Unwritten Law, and, and this band called Sprung Monkey. I can't remember all the order, but it was only bands. I would only put bands on these tours that were in the movie. They had to feed Taylor Steele. Like you had to, you know, and next thing you know, man, every surfer on the planet started listening to Blink and Unwritten Law. It was insane. Those movies, that guy, Taylor Steele, influenced that whole SoCal punk rock scene more than, single-handedly more than just, you know, any non- corporate like epitaph or not they were corporate you know what i mean Any, yeah yeah he was a garage filmmaker what was and, was that the first time that that pennywise went to australia because when randy randy's a good buddy of mine when he was on the show radberry yeah he was talking about going to australia for the first time and not thinking it was going to go well but because of surf movies they were huge in australia he didn't even know 
Yeah, yeah. No, I was on that tour with Randy, and I always remember because his feet were so big. He had the biggest flip-flops, dude. <laughs> I remember because, you know, when you tour Australia in the our winter, it's their summer, and yeah, I remember yeah. it was in December. That was 95. But, yeah, we took Blink. It was called the Good Times Tour, and I think that was Pennywise's first tour over there. I, I'm pretty sure. It went off so hard. It it was like a tour of tours. I It didn't feel like work. It didn't feel like anything except we were part of this chosen group. You know, I produced the whole thing and we toured all over that place. We had kids like we would be like, who surfs here? And they'd raise their hand like, cool, me on the side. And you're going to take us surfing tomorrow morning. You know, like me and Jim and Tom and whoever we would just we, we would we would we would just meet these kids. And, you know, we were just a bunch of surfers you know, having fun that love punk rock, man. And, and, and it just literally was absolutely amazing. Um, uh, hold on. And, and, and so, um, it, it was just like nothing ever seen. And what was crazy is Australia broke Blink-182 first yeah. before anyone, any country anywhere in the world. The first person ever played Blink-182 on the radio that I know of was Mike Halloran at 91X. Wow. Halloran's a legend. He played them, and but Blink is the one that broke them. You know, it, 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 we had momentum. Like, we were going back supporting, I mean, headlining before we could even headline in America in club tours, like yeah. 300, 400 caps. So it was, it was just insane, dude. I, I mean, the stories... I, that one time on tour. How about that one thousand times on tour? Well, hey, do you I have mean, do you have any really good stories from those those early days oh, that geez, you could share dude. with me? Because I mean, that's part of the of podcast. Course. Yeah, let's I know one. it is. I know it is, and I've been thinking about it. And you know, I can't. You know, yeah, dude, I've got stories with Blink when they're all rock stars, and I've got all that stuff. See, I'd rather I'd rather hear the early stuff because it's boring. You, well, that's the thing to with the early. With Blink, you know, people that aren't familiar with their kind of rise through the ranks, I mean, they started out as a scroungy little punk band, just like all of us do, and they just achieved world domination. But I'd like to hear about those old days, you know, when Scott was in the band and when they were in a van. Yeah, I, I want to hear about yeah. all that. Oh, yeah, dude. The, the van, the Millennium Falcon. I think that's what <laughs> Hop has called it, the Millennium Falcon. Yeah, those were the days, man. Um, Cheshire Cat. Uh, Cargo Records, Scott Rayner, um, you know, people that the, the people that really played a massive role in Blink's success, um, besides myself working with them, was, you know, Rick Bondi from the Tahoe Agency. He booked Sublime. Uh, he booked a lot of the ska bands. He believed in them early on. Um, and Pennywise, without a shadow of a doubt, Pennywise. Um, it was funny, Andy Summers, when I saw him the other day and I talked to him, he was like, you know, Rick, one of the biggest mistakes I ever made was when you offered me Blink and I turned him down. <laughs> <laughs> He's all, I thought they were a cheap ripoff van or something like that, you know, and, and, yeah. and, and everyone, no one, you know, the, the biggest negative compliment or and not wasn't a compliment, but was like, you know, they're a ripoff, no effects ripoff band and you know, because Tom had a high pitched voice. Yeah. And, but see, the thing that people didn't understand was I could package Blink with Pennywise and it always worked perfectly because all the boyfriends 
of the girls that you know, you know, who they 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 go to couples. The go the guys were all about going in the pit for uh, Pennywise, but all the girlfriends fell in love with Mark, Tom, oh yeah, and and Scott. I mean, they fell in love with them. Their jokes, all their dick jokes, all their like. Oh my gosh, they would never be able to say what they said back then. I mean, dude, now in this 2020 world, no well, way. I mean, even like the song Family Reunion, I think if that was to come out now, people would have a problem with it, right? A hundred percent. Shit, I was listening to some Ice Cube music the uh, the other day that, you know, when he split from NWA and I was like, whoa, that would never fly anymore, oh, yeah. like the stuff he said. So yeah, it was just a different time and, and you know, I you know, I don't know, but like, you know, the Pennywise and, and, and Pennywise was such a massive part to helping Blink. And I, I know Fletcher, line, Fletcher was a big fan of the Blink guys. I, I've, I've Oh, he loved them because he loved torturing them. <laughs> yeah, Fletcher's, Fletcher's a crazy dude, man. I love him. Dude, I, you know, I managed Pennywise for a long time. I was a promoter for a long time. The stories of torture. So I put a, to- I put a show together with offspring when they were bright when they were blown up with uh keep them separated remember that song oh yeah that thing was so massive pennywise and blink for the king of the hill snowboard championships in valdez alaska wow <laughs> yeah dude <laughs> so once again i figured out ways to get my bands to either take me snowboarding or surfing that's that was my goal it's like how can i get to these places you know and so we were like, hey, I, I, I met these guys and my friend Dan Egan, who owned a surfboard shop in Agora called Ig Surfboards, was friends with all the big powder guys that rode this giant mountains in, in Alaska. And he's like, hey, everyone's psyched. They're, they're, the King of the Hills having this event. And, and they asked me to help with bands. And I know you know all these cool bands. And so I'm like, yeah. So they flew us all up there, gave us all snowboards. Gave us way too much beer, gave us tokens for the freaking helis, all the stuff. And we went up and played this punk rock show, but we got to hang out for a few days snowboarding. And we're in this hotel in Valdez, Alaska. I mean, I think the one night it was like after the show and everyone went to their rooms and Fletcher dressed up as a wizard, an electrical wizard, because he was uh, he was an electrician by trade his father otis was an electrician and he taught fletcher how to be an electrician and so he figured out how to take a surfboard leash and wire it with a plug and it had live wires at the part on the velcro that goes around your your ankle so what he would do is is he dressed up in this tinfoil outfit kind of I, I don't know how to explain it he had like a cone hat and cone long fingers and he had his little disciples and they went and hunted Blink. And I, fortunately, my, my wife was with me at the time, and I had the room down below. They got to Mark, Tom, and Scott's room, and they broke the door down. And Mark and Tom, oh, oh, and they had fire extinguishers, yeah. and he carried squirt bottles as guns on the side, like in holsters that had Tabasco and water. So what they did was is they would capture you, they would blind you, duct tape you up, and then hook you up to the shock therapy. (laughs) That sounds awesome, man. (laughs) So I hear all this screaming above me in the room above me, and all of a sudden, I mean, dude, we're in Alaska. There's there's 20-foot snowbanks right outside my window. 
all of a sudden I see all their suitcases flying out the window, all their clothes. They got, they got ransacked by, by Fletcher and his cronies and Valdez. I hear all the screaming directly above Mark and Tom escaped, but with, uh, the, the hot sauce in their eyes running down completely blinded. They couldn't see where they were going, but they escaped. But Scott Rayner made the mistake of, uh, of, of, I think he was drinking too much. He, he just was kind of passed out yeah. and, and dude, they destroyed him. They shocked him. They fire extinguished him. They lit his eyes up. I mean, he basically was was like they went way too gnarly. <laughs> I mean, it sa- it sounds like par for the course for what I've heard about Fletcher. Like Randy was telling me about getting in fights at Warp Tour and all kinds of stuff. Oh my gosh, dude! He did one thing. I remember when we were at the Live One Hundred and Five show. He came in and and you know we were playing with Kid Rock and Kid Rock was blowing up and we get into the little transit van. And Fletcher is in there, and we get into the van, and we load in, and I shut the door, and he's like, you know, it was not very PC what I'm about to say, so I don't know how PC the show is. but I mean, whatever you want to say works. <laughs> he was said something, he's like, that freaking little midget. I, I, man, if I catch that guy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give him treatment like he never seen. Dude, all of a sudden I hear this, oh, really, bro? What the freaking hell? And he popped up. He was in the back seat of the van, but we couldn't see him. Dude, it was so heavy. <laughs> it was so heavy. And then, you know, instantly we're like, yeah, good one, loser, Fletcher, loser, big fat loser. Like, oh my gosh, dude. And, he, he, and then when the next stop, Joe C was his name. He passed away. Oh, Joe C. Um, oh, yeah, the the little yeah, MC guy for Kid Rock. Yeah. Dude, yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. It was so... It was just like, of course he was in the back of the van. And of course we couldn't see him because he's small and yeah. we couldn't see him. And Fletcher's such a big mouth. But we, you know, we, oh, yeah, that was really embarrassing. Yeah. Um, I, I often I wonder if Fletcher wasn't such a big guy, if he would still have the same personality. Cause no one wants to mess with Fletcher. <laughs> Dude, he's such a teddy bear, though. I mean, he really is. But I remember when we were in Italy on the Warp Tour. And we went down on the beach. We're all hanging out. You might, you might even have been on that tour. I mean, there were so many bands. It was like the early days. That's when I met Daryl Eaton. Yeah. Um, who actually ended up booking Blink. But um, we go down to this beach, and it's like all high end. Like you know, people are vacationing, man, and like all the umbrellas. And he rips his shirt off. He's like, "Hey, let's let's go in the ocean." You know, his entire back says "fuck off." The entire <laughs> back in, in in tattoo. And so they made him. Uh, they like the security came over, like, you can't go on this beach. And we're like, you know, Fletch, like, what? You know, like, we're all like hungover and stuff. And, 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 you know, yeah, that was, there's just so many Fletcher stories. I, I, I have so many to tell you. And a lot of them were, you know, the poo poo, pee pee ones. And, you know, <laughs> like, it was gnarly, man. Like, you always had to keep your guard up with him. But I tried so hard to get Blink on so many. Pennywise, so we were, we probably toured with Pennywise more than any band. Yeah, but Fletcher loved hit picking. You know, he loved he loved torturing Mark and Tom and Scott. Now, as the band got bigger and Scott, um, you know, his day was over with Blake and Travis Barker came in. You know, Travis, he didn't mess with Travis. He kind of had a different vibe with him. What was the if if you don't mind speaking of it because I know you were there and you were a big part of it. When Scott left and then they got Travis, like, was there, 
Did you guys know of him before because of the Aquabats, or was he a friend? Like, yes. how did that all come together? So, if I if my memory serves me right, I was obsessed with Madness, as I said earlier. Yeah, I somehow was able to get Blink to open for Madness. It was a thing. I I, I would use Blink to get things I wanted, like open for madness and go surfing i'll be honest i i that's what i did it was it was you know that was how i got paid <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know but it also built that band in a scene that no dude it, no one could duplicate that it, it was so organic but but uh when we were playing with madness i believe the aquabats opened and Tom came to me and, you know, we were, Mark and Tom had, there was an issue going with Scott and, you know, Tom, he's like, Hey, we got to get Travis Barker in this band. And, and I was like, wow. You know, like that was kind of like my very first job, part of the job that sucked. You know what I mean? It, 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 It was just such a, that was, that was when Blink was blowing up. I mean, their dude ranch it was all over the radio, you know, with damn it and all that stuff. And, and, and that's, that was kind of the beginning of where my job as a manager started changing from those early days with Pennywise and Taylor Steele. It started becoming like, well, this is, you know, real. And I had to start doing things that were not awesome, <clears throat> you know, that kind of like were a bum out. And, so Travis joined the band and, you know, and then musically, you know, the band started kind of taking on a different, you know, he's such an, you know, not that Scott wasn't a rad drummer and, and man, I, I think Scott would have done well in Blink, uh, you know, no problems. Um, Travis, you know, he's Travis Barker and, yeah. you know, he brought something to the band that we didn't have at the time and we were just mesmerized at his abilities as a drummer. And was there a, was there a court, was there a courtship process? Like, did you guys have to like, kind of or was he just down to do it right away? I think the courtship process was typical Tom. Look, bro, you can dress up as a Batman or you can come and hang out and wear chain wallets and wear dickies with us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know if that's really what he said, but I guarantee you it was something along those lines. Not to say, you know, Aquabats are really cool. And I got to hang with those guys and see them play. You saw Ricky, their drummer and you know like i saw him on the last warp tour uh the aquadolls did uh in, in july so it, it was really um awesome to uh get um con- reconnected with them and um and see them but you know they were a good band man yeah. aquabats are freaking legit and and so you know i i think they were kind of bummed out um for sure that that he joined the band but you know, that's the evolution of rock and roll, you know, things change and, and stuff. So when he joined, you know, they went on to write, uh, Enema of the State, which was, you know, just massive is massive. You, you mentioned, uh, you know, dude ranch before that with damn it. I didn't want to, you know, go through this whole thing without talking about your cameo in the <laughs> damn it video. You were the, the theater right. guy, right? You put Rick Devota video, and there's a good chance your song's going to go top ten because I've got some videos that I'm in that I, that have done well. That's yeah, right. when I when I put your name into like you know <laughs> do a little bit of research before I talked to you just to make sure I had some stuff you know in my notes because I mean we've talked already, <laughs> but I saw that it's like wow he has an IMDb page and the first thing on there is like being in a video. <laughs> Dude, you know it was so fun. Darren Doan was the director. 
he loved me. Um, we had so much fun shooting that, that video. It was in Hollywood at an old movie theater. And, um, you know, you know, I'm, I go to bed early, dude. Freaking no one told me rock videos have to be shot till till six in the morning. It's like, it's so <laughs> dumb. Yeah. It's like so dumb. But, you know, they're all like creatures of the dark, those guys who make those things. So, of course, we filmed it. And, yeah, I was the popcorn dude who ended up taking the chick from Hoppus and the weirdo guy in the video. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. You're, you're forever just in that video for years and years to come. You're, you're a yeah, star. Yeah, that – and all the small things, I was a naked guy holding a sign. Oh, I didn't and, even know uh, that. That's crazy. Yeah, I was, uh, gosh, what else was that? I was in the Newfound Glory video. There, it was their biggest song, My Friends Over You. Biggest song to date. Awesome. I was man. the pizza guy. Um, I was in a Unwritten Law video. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why. I, I just thought it was always fun to do that. I majored in film at SDSU. So I was always kind of attracted to the music videos and stuff as far as being attracted to music videos and like you know taking going to film school did you have anything to do with the documentary riding in vans with boys that whole cut you up thing where they went out with blank well you know i did indirectly but what i really had big parts to do with was i did all the urethra chronicles dvd home movies of oh, blank. okay okay i produced and directed all those and I also did, I think I did the uh, the Newfound Glory one, The Road Home. Um, and I did that with my friend Cheetah. Uh, but I, I I was just obsessed with it. So I would, I basically, uh, you know, working with Taylor Steele, uh, I took his format for surf movies and put it, plugged it into a Blink video, a Blink home movie. So there was Urethra Chronicles 1 and 2. And... Man, that was, you know, VHS back in the day, dude. That's like, that was a big deal. And if you can find it, which I actually haven't seen that thing in probably 25 years, I might go home and watch it. I think my kids are old enough now. I'll let them see it forever. <laughs> I was hiding it. <laughs> what, really was. <laughs> what is the process? You said, you know, you directed, produced. Are you sitting there with a camcorder in the studio yes, or on sir. tour? You're doing everything. Yes, sir. Yep everything i filmed them i was always the one that like dude not now but you know what thank god you yeah. know i still got all those tapes they're in a box in my house i got every tape and uh yeah dude i just followed them around i was their, their video guy and we put it out and guess what it went gold that's insane they, they even had gold awards for for at that time if, if you recall bands put out you know documentaries on themselves and yeah. movies and, and stuff and so Ours was really cool because it had a lot of surf, surfers involved and and it was really rad. And um, I think I don't think Travis was in that one. Travis was in the next one, um, but the first one it was Scott. And so yeah, dude, it was it was rad. And and uh, I learned all that at, at SDSU and just you know if you have a camera and you have access, you can get shit done. You know oh, yeah. that, that's the whole thing. And I had access, and so. Yeah, so driving in vans with boys was a was a project um, that where Chris Cote, one of my dear friends, um, he had a band called Cut You Up. Chris Cote actually was my assistant, and here's a fun fact that a lot of people don't know: I hired Chris Cote to be Travis Barker's drum tech for like a year. Wow. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Chris is a legend. He's a host. He's one of the main uh, hosts for the WSL, the World Surf League. He calls all the contests and stuff like the heats and stuff. So he's, he's awesome. He actually mentors my son Fisher now um, in that. 
so it's it's just it's rad all my friends we hang out you know still and but that van was basically a documentary on a band that was not supposed to be on a tour basically that opened up for the biggest tour I ever produced in my life, which was the pop disaster tour yeah. with uh blink One Eight Two and green day. And Jimmy world was on some of those dates too, right? Yeah. We mixed it up. Yeah. But cut you up. You know, I mean, they just would do, we're like, okay, you have to do everything we say. Okay. <laughs> everything. And one of the gnarliest ones was when Billy Joe Armstrong branded Chris Cote with a, like a, like a like a cow with a hot branding iron. Oh yeah, I've seen that documentary. It's crazy, man. And I I, I just love the fact that, like you said, they kind of had to do whatever you said. There's all these bets and all these things going on, like when you guys yeah. were in Vegas and all the different like, oh, drinking yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. They were like, you know, they turned out to be the the punching boys, like Blink Word of Fletcher. They became their you know they just they all had so much fun messing with cut you up they did anything you told them to do that was the deal and uh yeah were, were <laughs> they getting were they getting paid on that tour um i think we had it set up where they wouldn't lose money and they were they would eat yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think that's worth it going i mean some of the I, it was funny because on that documentary you know sometimes they're playing like the little wooden stage as people are walking into the venue but on some of the dates yeah. they actually got to play on the big stage yeah. Yeah, we, we rewarded them. You know, they were good boys. They did what they were told, you know. Um, there were some things that Chris did that I can't say on air that were the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, but I won't tell you what that was. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> Maybe off the record sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So, uh, you know, Blink became pretty much one of the biggest bands in the world. Yes. Um, can you kind of, I mean, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to, but when the whole thing with Tom kind of happened and he was going to leave the band, I know that you went on and managed Angels and Airwaves. So yeah, were you closer to him or were you kind of his main manager? Because I know at one point everyone kind of had their own thing going on. Yeah, you know, and I'd like to get make that publicly clear. I managed Blink. I was, in my eyes, I was everybody's manager. Yeah. Um, you know, each one of those guys, no matter what projects they were involved in, I always wanted to support them. Um, you know, whether they wanted to do a clothing brand or Mark came to me one time and asked me if he wanted to, he's like, I have this band called River Phoenix and I'm managing them. And he's like, I just can't do it. I, I Can you help me? Will you partner with me? I'm like, sure. You know, anytime they had projects, I, I would always try. And, you know, musically, you know, it started earlier with like boxcar racer and stuff. And, you know, I, I think Tom is, he's always just yearning to make music. I mean, you know, that's what I saw with him. And, you know, Mark, Mark was so instrumental in all these big songs you heard on the radio. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, but there was something about Tom that he, he just, I don't know. He just really, you know, he would sit at home constantly and play his guitar and in, in, he'd be like, come over, you know, and, and I cruise over. And, and I remember he, he, he played me this song and he's like, dude, I just wrote this. It's about, it's about my wife. And, and, and he's like, you know, he's singing it to me and he goes in right, right here. I'm going to put these na-na's in. I was like, dude, that's insane. How, how like you're, uh, 
you know, that's that, that song is amazing. Wow, it's really catchy. None of us knew, you know, that yeah. that was going to be the biggest song of all time. He played it for me. I remember I was sitting on his stairwell and, and uh, you know, so, you know, Mark and Travis and Tom, they, they all like grew in. They all became amazing parents and, you know, they're all really great musicians and everything. But Tom wanted to start a side band and, you know, he started a boxcar racer and, uh, you know, he you know i i it kind of tripped me out at first because i'm like you know why you, you know in my head so like i said earlier like you know things started changing yeah you, you know people's wants and needs started changing and evolving and and whether that was career-wise or where they wanted to live or wherever everything you know that that always cherish if you're in something and you know it's just like you're living it it's just cherish it because it's just like it, things evolve, you know, and all that stuff I told you earlier all changed. Yeah. Everything changed. And, you know, it's okay. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's sad. But, you know, I, I to answer your question, you know, I, I viewed myself as the band's manager and I supported whatever projects that they wanted to uh, do. I, I supported it, you know, even though the problem that was brewing for me was that wasn't going over well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I just got caught in this weird crossfire of passions for new things. And it, it just, it just started getting weird. And, and I, you know, you had all these big players involved in, in things like that. And all I really just wanted to do was stay focused. I mean, everyone had side projects. Everyone did. I mean, you know, Mark was producing. Travis started the transplants. Yeah, yeah. Travis jumped in on boxcar racer. Tom had boxcar racer. Tom and Mark had Atticus and Macbeth clothing and loser kids. Travis had famous stars and straps. So you had all of a sudden these punk rock kids that only cared about burritos from Sombrero and, and having fun and skateboarding. All of a sudden, are businessmen, yeah, and they want they want to use things that they see or they are influenced by, and they want to start stuff. Which I don't blame them. You know what I mean? But like uh, I think it's Jay Z said, "More money, more problems." Definitely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and as all these things and started growing, and everyone, you know, well, we need a famous Stars and Strauss booth out on tour. Well, we need an Atticus booth on tour. Well, we need it, you know. It just, it, it was, it was just interesting, and I felt it slipping, and and I saw things slipping, and and you know, like if I would have said no to manage Boxcar or no to manage Transplants, I mean, there was other managers out there, dude, that were like, you know, like sniffing right on my heels, yeah. like, oh, well, I'll manage Boxcar, you know what I mean? And you know, there's, I'm not going to say their names, but you know, there's people there, and. You know, I'm still totally cool with those guys and everything, but I decided to hold it all together as hard long as I could. And it just got to a certain point um, for Tom that he, you know, he decided that he wanted to do something different. And that's when uh, he left Blink. Was there a lot of inner band kind of turmoil? Like, you know, you watch the Some Kind of Monster Metallica DVD and you see 
you see the breakdown of a band. And if normally you don't get to see that inner turmoil in a band, were the guys still completely cool or, or was there a, a, like a, a rift between them? Well, you know, it's just, it's just like in any band. I mean, dude, you're in a band. Yeah. Yeah. You know what it's like. I mean, so the, obviously the answer is yes, but that's <laughs> a yes for every single band. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know one. I remember one time we were in Salt Lake city driving in, the the unwritten law guys all started beating each other up in the van like <laughs> i'm like what the hell you know what i mean i mean physically like yeah, yeah. freaking and dude wade from unwritten law their drummer man that guy can throw a haymaker man like <laughs> whoo you don't want to get punched by that dude but but you know yeah all bands have that i mean yeah. that's 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 normal that's gets given and you know i but but the blink guys you know they they're all really good dudes. I mean, they're all really talented. They're, they, they're, they're the best times of my life have been with those guys, you know, but it's just like anything in life. I mean, you know, in relationships, I mean, a lot of my friends aren't even married anymore. And, and, you know, and, and I know some of my friends that don't even talk to their kids and, you know, it's just life changes and things change and, you know, they all moved away from each other and, and, you know, L.A., you know, Tom stayed in San Diego. and But, you know, they're not bad. No one, no one, you know, we don't have like those crazy like heavy metal 80s rock breakups where, yeah. you know, drugs are involved and, you know, and all this weird cheating. And, you know, you know it, it's nothing like that. I, I just think business and, you know, the internet was, you know, when Blink started, dude, the internet didn't even exist pretty much. I mean, it might have, but no one used it. Yeah, yeah. Not you know? for music or anything like that. Yeah. No, no. So we went through a massive change. I mean, we were, we, we were at the end of it, you know, us, uh, you know, the end of the nineties, <clears throat> you know, like we got, we made the cut. And so each one of those guys became very famous. I mean, yeah. extremely famous. I mean, put it this way. They were so famous, I would get run off of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here's here's what's funny. Here's a, that one time on tour. A couple times. Dude, I'm just a band manager, right? I'm yeah. just a band manager. We were leaving the Letterman show. Uh, the tonight, yeah, it was David Letterman uh, in New York, right? Yeah. And Marcos, he starts cracking up, and we're driving away in the van. He's like, "Oh my god, look, look!" And there was people holding signs that said, "I love Rick DeVoe <laughs> outside on the street. There was hundreds of people, and, and 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 it just it got so nutty. You know, people would text me like uh, like in Australia, like. This, there's people wearing I love Rick DeVoe shirts in Australia and when I got off the plane in Mexico City I got like oh my gosh mob of people my, you know so that's just to give you an idea of how big the band got because like I was getting like this weird runoff so imagine what it's like for them well yeah and I'll tell you when you like first hit me up and said you liked the show and you were you know wanted to talk about everything the funny thing was like I didn't know you but when I heard your name I was like is that the dude that managed Blink? Because like, and I didn't know who you were or anything, but somehow in my mind that it stuck. So it's kind of crazy that they were so big that people knew who their manager was. I don't know anybody else's yeah, yeah. manager. Dude, that that doesn't happen, dude. The only other manager that I sort of knew was Phil Jackson, who who was the manager coach of the LA Lakers yeah, during the yeah. Kobe Shaq run. So I, you know, we got to kind of get to meet Kobe Bryant and. 
and, and you know, and we would cross paths sometimes and we did events for those guys and Phil Jackson, I'd be like, well, maybe I'm the punk rock Phil Jackson. You're the punk like, rock Phil Jackson. Yeah, man. That, that's like how, because I've, I love basketball and, and you know, and, and that's, I, I don't know. I didn't know how it was just weird to me. Cause I was just, I don't know. It was just, it was weird, you, you know, but that's how big they got. So imagine Tom, he could never, you know, Tom, Mark or Travis, they could never go out and eat. They'd always get recognized when all those, when MTV was massive. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you got to understand in a short period of time from 94 to 99, you had a guy that basically who I met for the first time drove concrete trucks around. You had Mark who was like, he was like, just into the cure. I don't even really know what he did before. <laughs> yeah, he was just into the cure. <laughs> he, just, he was just into the cure. And, you know, Travis, I hadn't even met yet, but he was touring around in a, you know, in a superhero suit. Five years later, you know, they're flying around in G3s. I know, it's crazy, man. It's like, it's just insane. It's just insane. You know, and I, I thought a lot about this, and I think, you know, the music is great that they made, but the one thing... And I think I saw somebody talking about this the other day on an interview or something. You know, normally in a band, you're lucky if you have the one kind of big personality that has the charisma and everything. In, sure. in Blink, you've got three guys three. that could be the front man of a band oh, on their own. Without a, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. They're, they're so talented. I mean, Mark is such a good singer. And he rips at bass. And you know what's funny? I, when, I, when, when, when I decided to say yes to Tom, I just, all I remember that I cared about at the time was, please, God, please, God, please make Mark, the, Mark, the bass player, play with a pick. Because, man, <laughs> I think it's so lame when bass players pick their, their bass. It's so not cool looking. And I'm like, please. And I saw him, I'm like, yes, plays with a pick. <laughs> awesome, man. <Yeah. laughs> that's like how, that's like where my mindset was. It was like, <clears throat> I don't know. It, you know, and Travis is like, Dude, he's the best drummer in the world, man. I oh, he's mean, amazing. I, he's amazing. I, I don't even know what else to say about the guy. And I, I mean, his, you know, you know, driving around, touring around in an old Eagle bus to the point where we're, we've got each band guy has their own bus and Travis is getting flipped upside down on like a $200,000 automated drummer flipping machine. It's just like, wow. <laughs> wow. I, I remember when I was in Chicago and we sold out the World Amphitheater. I don't yeah. even know if it's still there. And we did 26,000 tickets. And I sat, I mean, Darren Wolf, who is our artist development guy, who's the raddest guy ever, at, you know, that I worked with in MCA Records. That whole squad was legit, dude. Their president, Jay Boberg, who started with the police and Paul Reskin and Gary Ashley, who actually signed us as A&R, but he died, unfortunately. And, you know, that whole squad, there's nothing like it. And I remember me and Darren went all the way to the top of the grassy knoll at the world. And we sat down there and, and I just looked down. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. This is insane. It's like they got, I remember Mark had everyone hold up uh, lighters because, you know, no one had cell phones then. Yeah. And the whole 26,000 people lit up, you know, and, and 
dude, I'm not kidding you. Four years earlier, I just remember going, okay, if I can just get 500 bucks a night, I can keep the band can make the band can exist on the road <laughs> five to a thousand bucks a night. I can't That's remember crazy. what it was. That's crazy. That's it. I was just hoping. And you know, sell out the world amphitheater, do the math. Like it, it, that's where it went. And I, and you know, they went on to headlining the Reading and Leeds festival and, you know, breaking, smashing decade old merch record, uh, merch sale records. Um, our merch guy was Chris Siglin. I mean, he still works for Pearl Jam. Dude, the best merch guy in the entire business. He was, he was the merch scientist. We had it down. We just had this crew from our sound guys at Rat Sound to our lighting guides at Ed and Ted's Excellent Lighting, you know, to our tour manager at the time. Like when we hit big, I, I'm telling you, those people were Alex McLeod, our tour manager. I think he was with Guns N' Roses. We had such quality people and it was such a pleasure. You know, I miss it. And, and, you know, you just know those things just aren't, they don't, you know, those moments in life, you know, I, I would always stop at the smell of the roses, dude, no matter where I was. Oh, yeah. Because I knew. I just knew. And, you know, sure enough, you know, things changed and, <clears throat> and, um, you know, but I'm still so, just full of so much gratitude and, you know, what it's done for my family and my career. I mean, here I am. It's so funny, um, you know. You just interviewed Melissa Brooks yeah. uh, last week, and with the Aquadolls, and you know, I tell the girls, I'm like, you know, I, I, I flow at forty thousand feet, and for the Aquadolls, I had to come down to five hundred feet. I had to like go on van tours again. I did yeah. forty seven shows with my daughter as tour manager this last year, and I loved every minute of it. I loved it. I love going on tour. I I was able You're still to producing there. the documentaries too, because Melissa told oh, me you were exactly. the cameraman. <laughs> That's right. You're right. I did that for Sanook. My daughter's sponsored by Sanook Sandals. She's the tour manager. We decided to do punk rock yoga. And guess what? You know, you just got to create your own stuff, dude. I mean, that's one reason why I did the podcast because I've been out of the loop for a while. I'm not touring. I, you know, I had a couple kids and I haven't been on the road Perfect. for a while, but I missed, I missed that life and I missed my friends and I missed just feeling a part of the community. And that's, it, it's worked. Oh. I mean, I have creative stuff going again, you know? Yeah. It's you hit it right there. It's the creative passions, the, those juices. And, and, you know, I've been, you know, I, I, I kind of retired a couple of years ago and, you know, we live out on Catalina Island in the summer and I, I, man, I would run and dive every day, but then the great white sharks start showing up a lot. So yeah. I stopped diving that much. I mean, they're literally biting people off their, you know, and I'm a spear fisherman, so that sucked. So I got really bored, and I told my wife, I'm like, I, I, I got to go back in. I, I, I remember I was talking to Corey Christopher. She's a good friend of mine. She books, she, she runs Paradigm, man. Like, they, they just crushed it with Billie Eilish, you know, and like, oh, they yeah. got Agency of the Year. Like, they are on fire. Sarah Bullwinkle and Corey Christopher. Like, Corey Christopher is like Corey and Sarah, like the biggest two of the biggest women in music industry right now. Right. Corey was Rick Bondi's assistant from the Tahoe agency. Wow. And now she runs paradigm basically like runs it. She's got imagine dragons, Janet Jackson. I mean, she does no effects. It, it's just, it's so cool to see all these people that, you know, you and I have so many mutual friends. Oh yeah. It's kind of crazy when just, you think about it. 
just succeed in, in like, for instance, you started this podcast, you know, you, you could have easily just gave up and got lazy. But what I try to tell all these band people and these kids, and you know, cause I, I try to mentor everybody, dude. Yeah. Everybody, because I got to give back. You got to give back. And, and I tell them, I'm like, just don't be lazy. Show up, go to that. If you're tired, get out of bed, go to that, go to that party. You don't sit on the couch, go to, go to that industry event, go to wherever, cause doors will open. And, and it's, it's proven for me with, with the aqua dolls. I mean, I, I put a plan together and when I picked up with these guys in April, I mean, you know, I hate to say it, but they were spiraling. They were about, they were, dude, they were about, they were, they were about to crash and burn. Yeah. Like, you know, and, and I, and I was, I'm like, man, I just, I just want to, I want to find the next go-go's. I want to find the next go-go's. I'm obsessed with the go-go's yeah. and, and I'm a surfer and I wanted to surf sound and, and I found the aqua dolls and, and, you know, I think Melissa told how we met and stuff, but it, it, I just was like, I'm going to throw everything I have at this band. So I'm like, how can I do it? I'm like, how can I do it faster? Because what's interesting too, Chris, I'm sure you've noticed is if you don't have something of value to make people money, it's amazing how all those people you thought, not all of them, but a lot of those people you thought were your friends, they don't take your call anymore. Yeah. They just go away. It's basically like, if you can't do something for them, then it was never even real, you know? It's like insane. I, I just, I just did. I underestimated that go heading back in with the aqua dolls. And I'm like, well, dude, this is bullshit. I got to go faster. I need, I need someone who makes people money. Yeah. I'm going to partner this band with somebody. So I hit up my <clears throat> long time old friend. He did monitors and tour manage for blink 182. He's my, he, he, he owns my, he owns a lot right next door to me in Mexico. His name's Smitty. And he manages Pearl Jam. Wow. <laughs> so I go, yeah, there you go. We're going to co-manage this together. And I knew I'd get him because, because he loves the Go-Go's. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he had, dude, you got to get him on tour on this show. He could tell you some Belinda Carlisle stories. Oh, dude, like, I'd be down. I've been a Go-Go's fan forever, man. That'd be amazing. Oh, Bangles. I mean, he is so old school punk rock. He lives in LBC. I mean, he's the real deal. You know, he runs Pearl Jam, him and Kelly Curry. Well, Kelly's the main manager, but he is like the day-to-day. Nothing goes past Smitty. Yeah. He, you know, he runs the Ohana Festival in Dana Point and stuff. But I brought him on. I laid this whole plan out. You know, I, I just, I, and then, but I still have friends that help me like Smitty and Lisa Warden who runs iHeartRadio. I mean, she was the PD at K-Rock and she took hours of her time to get me up to speed. And, you know, I've got... It's just I, there's still good people out there that have helped me along the line, along the road here. Um, Don Moore, William Morris, and you know Pennywise. Jimmy got the Aqua Dolls on a show, and I'm like, Jim, you're still getting my bands on on tour. I love it. Just Fletcher can't torture the Aqua Dolls because that's different. That's different, <laughs> especially in this day. <laughs> yeah, and then you know it caused me to re you know get back with my good friend Fat Mike and. You know, well, yeah, I was I was amazed because I know like you guys went on that vacation together, and it kind of blows me away because I'm a huge No Effects fan. I've I've met Mike many times. I wouldn't say that we really know each other, but we have met a lot. Yeah. And when you know you guys went on that trip together around the holidays, and that's why we had yeah. to postpone this to February. But then when you guys posted that video of of him working with Aquadals in the studio, I'm yeah. like, damn, why didn't I get to talk to her about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, because when we first did this, because here's what's funny. 
Mike, <laughs> you know, he came over, he started hanging out when we started hanging out again. And, you know, he had, he had issues with sobriety. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and so when we started hanging out again, I mean, it's public. I mean, he talks about it. Um, you know, he still wasn't sober. And, and I was like, Hey man, I've, I've got this band I'm working with. Come over. We're going to hang out and, you know, help you talk to you about the stuff you need help with. And, uh, so the Aquadals, what I do is, is like, I let them stay at my house. We have a big garage and we just let them walk out, you know, put all their gear up. And they, you know, before touring, I make, we call it big dummy jam boot camp, And, and we just, I make them rehearse seven hours, eight hours a day. Wow, man. That's awesome. Over and over and over again. Then I make them exercise and we get, we have band talks and, you know, all this stuff. And so it was the last night before they went on tour. And I think we were heading out to the ACL festival last year. And Mike just having to cruise down and I was so in a, I'm like, I like having parties like old school. So I had my boy, John Park, who runs, he owns fish One Hundred and One restaurant, which is if you're ever in Encinitas, you got to go to fish One Hundred and One. <laughs> There's my plug. Awesome. But, but Johnny catered the whole thing. We invited the whole neighborhood and I wanted the girls to play a live rehearsal in front of people so they can get the jitters out of them. But then, you know, I invited Halloran, who's a big radio personality, and I invited, you know, Mike showed up and Jen from the Bomb Pop. I was going to say, I think I remember seeing some videos from Jen's Instagram because Jen's been on the yeah. show. She's a friend of the show. Dude, she's so awesome. She's and, amazing. And, and so, you know, so we're hanging out. And once again, proximity, all of a sudden, Jen's playing me Bomb Pop's music. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty good. And, and you know, the Aqua Dolls are playing in my garage. A slam pit breaks out. And, it is so old school, but the PA they own is like literally a fifty dollar PA. It's like my <laughs> first PA, yeah. and so Mike's like, "I'm like, dude, we think like, they're horrible. They're horrible. Worst band in the world." I'm like, "Oh, shut up! You don't know. You don't see the vision here." So we, you know, so he's like, "You know, you got to manage the bomb pops." And I'm like, "All right, well, you know, let's start thinking of it." You know, so we start thinking about it, and so we go to Mexico together, and dude, we had the best conversations on music. It was like. It was so rad. No agendas. All he wanted to do was learn how to surf. And, you know, I taught him how to surf and we hung out. We talked about music, totally sober. And, and it was just so fun. We talked all about the old days and everything. And, and, and I start understanding that he's producing. He's really wants to be a producer. Yeah. And so, you know, he's produced every no effects record and freaking gimmies and i'm sure lag wagon and you know work with tony sly and all these amazing things but he never kind of told people about it and so i listened to his reel and i was like wow that's pretty good and i was like well i got a hire producer for the aquadals um this thing sounds amazing you you won't it sounds like you actually can produce something that doesn't sound like a fat band because you know i didn't <clears throat> i didn't think the aquadals you know, and then he's like, well, why, why are you working with them? They're still horrible. Well, guess what? I had the girls sit at my house for two weeks up north in Ventura or Oxnard all by themselves right there in the harbor. And they wrote a bunch of songs and I sent them to Mike and I said, I go, go goes. He calls me up freaking out. He's like, <laughs> okay, I'm wrong. I get it holy crap, I can do this. I can do this. I get it. I get it. I get it. Fast forward. I've got three new songs. They're insane. Yeah. Insane. I mean, like, Aquadals 2.0. 
Mike and, and his engineer Baz are legitimately are gonna are gonna be the next the next big thing in producing. And I'm gonna try to make sure that happens because I'm gonna help Mike do it. He is so talented. Well, dude, no nobody looks at songwriting the way that Mike does. I mean, some of my no. favorite no effects songs don't have choruses. I mean, and that's so crazy to to not have they have hooks, but they don't have choruses. Like the way Mike puts chords together, everything about his like choices when he's writing a song is unlike anyone else in Dude, the world. He is going to become a big deal. Like I think, I think he's got elements of him uh, like a Danny Elfman. Wow. Okay. And and I can say that because my brother-in-law played in Oingo Boingo, so I know <laughs> awesome. Boingo. Okay. I know, I know about Boingo. I know a lot than most people. And, and Mike, he can be that he's, he's going to do it. I know he's going to do it. And if there's any bands listening to this, I highly suggest you hire him to produce, but hit me up, Rick at rickdevelopmanagement.com and I'll make it happen. <laughs> awesome, man. <laughs> but, but I'm, I mean, I think he's got a whole nother career in front of him. Um, because he, just like yourself, is a creator and and you know it's and that and to me i'm i'm like you but in a different way i'm you know i was a promoter and i love managing and i told my wife i'm like i'm good at this like i'm good at punk rock bands and and i'm good at putting tours together and i'm good working with bands as a manager and being a mentor so i'm gonna just do it i'm gonna get back into it and do it and you know, I'm sure my wife's a school teacher. She's a bless her heart. She comes home and the drums are loud and, you know, the bands are, you know, the whole, all the neighbors are like, DeVoe, the freaking <laughs> hell is going on in your garage? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> one of my best friends, uh, Chris Georgian, he worked for me for 16 years. He now manages this band Floor, uh, No Parents. And he lives right next door to me. And he's like, damn, dude, it's so loud. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll deal with it. You work in the music biz, you know what's up. <laughs> but anyway, I just, you know, I'm real passionate about all this, like yourself. And, and it's rad that we are still doing it, huh? Yeah, definitely, man. And, you know, are there, what are your plans for the future? I mean, are you just, are you really hitting it hard with Aqua Dolls or do you have any other bands you're working with right now? Yes, yes. So, I, I did, you know, so Jen from the Bomb Pops, um, lovely band. I now manage them. I'm very proud to say. Awesome. Um, yeah, I'm really psyched. I can't um, wait for their new record. It's going to be great. Dude, it's so, it's so killer. I'll, I'll, you know what? I'm going to send you their press kit so you have everything. Awesome. Um, yeah, I just, I had Yo, I had Yo Tom on uh, that helped produce it also out there in Denver. He was on oh, the yeah, show a while back. Yeah. So he's part of Mike's producing crew. Yeah, yeah. They just did that. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but they got it's together. It's called Decomposer. Yeah. Decomposer. Yeah, they did yeah. like a record in like three days or something. That's, that's who's doing the Aqua Dolls. But that's, Mike's right in there, man. It's, that's awesome. It's insane. Um, but yes, the bomb pops. I'm working with them, Polly and Neil and Josh and Jen. I mean, these guys are so pro. They've got they've taken and modernized that '90s punk rock sound for the 2020 era here. I mean, they they play it better than the guys did back in the day. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. they've got it down. I mean, they're they're so good. Their videos, man. So Neil works at Guitar Center. He's so This band's got the best socials and the best everything. I mean, they're so driven. 
And, you know, we got a lot of exciting things coming for them this summer. Um, hint, hint, punk in something. I'm not going to say anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. but, uh, you know, we, we, we got some stuff. They got a date coming out with, um, no sex and, and I'm sure we're going to see some bomb pops, aqua dolls dates. I'm, I'm actually was on the phone with the manager and no parents, this band, this punk band from California. They're awesome. You should check them out. Um, trying to put a package together. You know, I, I'm getting my promoter hat back on. I'm, I'm working with promoters internationally. And so I'm, I'm, I really dig in this girl fronted roster I've built and my daughter, She's 18. She's tour managing. I've got my other, one of my best friends, his daughter's here right now. She's, she went on tour. She's 15. I'm trying to empower these girls to go out and rule the world with their guitars and their brain. I think that's, and that's, that's, that's what I'm awesome. Doing. That's awesome, man. And I, I'm just really glad that we hooked up. I mean, not only am I a fan of yes. pretty much every band you've ever worked with, but you know, <laughs> pod, podcasting is not new, but it, it's catching on. It's getting bigger. And who knows? Yeah. I'd love to work with you in some capacity. I think it'd be a cool thing, man. Oh, uh, we should do a, uh... That one time on tour, tour. That <laughs> sounds good. We can ha- have a lot of the people that have been on the show. Hey, we could bring Pennywise back. They've been on the show. Oh, we can we can have like sideline commentating and, and like you can you know talk to the bands and what it's like. We should talk about that, dude. We that would be awesome. We could really fun, think about this. Know? Think about this. Do, kind of thing. Yeah. do a do a live podcast to open the show and then have the bands perform. Oh yeah. And we oh, can yeah. have the Let's bands come out right. and man, we're going to talk about it. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I'm a hundred percent in, I, we, I have a weird and wacky fun life. So I think it, I think that my, the bands I'm working with and their friends would be worth, worth, uh, listening and watching. Well, I tell you what, man, I've had a blast talking to you today and it's, it's, yes. been, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and I, I consider you a friend. Thank now, you, man. Chris. It's really cool. Yes. Right back at you. Please hit me up if you want to come to a show or anything. Uh, Aquadals are going out with White Reaper and Beach Slang, and we got a huge announcement for them coming up on a very well-known festival that I am not allowed to talk about, but awesome. it's coming. Awesome. <laughs> and um, and the same with the Bomb Pops. So, uh, yeah, just let me know. Hit me up. Cool, man. Well, I tell you what. Last thing I want to leave you with: you should put in a good word with Mike. I'd love to have him on. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I'm gonna get him to talk. You just get Mike to talk about his producing stuff, and, and I think he'll light up like a Christmas tree. Oh, that's all I really want to talk to him about that and songwriting. You know, I don't want to talk about no effects. Very Chapter much. five of his book. I mean, maybe, but you know, I don't want to. He, I've heard him on different podcasts. He was on my buddy Dewey's podcast. It was really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm an engineer and a producer myself. So like, yes. that would just blow my mind to get to pick his brain about his process. You know. Dude, it's incredible. I watch him. He's like a he's like a mad scientist. I mean, That's he's awesome. his girlfriend told me she's like, I don't know how you got him, but he falls asleep to the Aquadals and he listens. So he he says so he listens to it. So it's like in his brain while he's sleeping when he wakes up. It, it's like I, he's so good at what he does, man. <clears throat> you know what? I mean? he's such a good dude. Yeah, I've, I've known him since '94. He's such a good dude. He's as punk rock as it comes, but he's yet, he's very giving and he's extremely smart. And I think he'd be a great addition on this podcast. Awesome, man. Well, Rick, I've had a blast today and uh, I yes. can't wait to talk more about that one time on tour tour. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I want to say good luck to you with everything you've got going on. Good luck to all the bands. Melissa was so wonderful when she was on the program. So I really hope they're going to do well on this upcoming yeah, she tour. Yeah, had a good time. And uh, I'll be in touch, man. And and thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. 
I appreciate it. And uh, Bomb Pops, you slide them in. I'm promoting my band there. I want to get them on. Maybe even Jimmy from Pennywise. I, I, I'd like to get him on. Well, dude, let's let's go for it. I had Randy on. It was amazing. I'd love to get Jim on. And Jen's going to come back. I just talked to her the other day. She's going to come back on the show soon. Wonderful. Wow, man. You're taking care of your people. I love it. <laughs> hey, man, you're a part of the family now, man. Okay. <laughs> Same, buddy. Well, thank you for the time. I really appreciate all you've done for myself and the Aquadals and Bomb Pops and everybody. Cool, man. Well, have a great night and I will talk to you soon, my friend. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So there it was, my conversation with Rick DeVoe. Rick is such a good guy and I can't wait to have him back in the future. Uh, He's worked with so many great bands, and uh, the new bands he's working with are no different. I mean, the Bomb Pops, I've had Jen on the show before. She's going to be on again here very, very soon. The Aqua Dolls are great. Just so many great bands, and I, I, it's cool that Rick's back, and he's doing it better than ever. And uh, we're going to talk about this, uh, that one time on tour, on tour. I think that'd be really, really cool to have like yeah, guests that have been on the show you know, I'll go on the tour and I'll do a live podcast and then the bands will play. But uh, there's probably a lot of logistics that I'm not thinking about, but uh, maybe Rick and I can pull it off. You never know. So thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Once again, with uh, this whole coronavirus thing, I hope you guys are safe. I hope you're staying home. I'm going to stay home as much as possible. I am going to attempt to work in the next couple of days if anybody shows up. And uh, I got to go to the grocery store again, too. I've got toddlers, and they, they're they always hungry. They, they never stop. It's always, Daddy, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. Uh, and my son has found out that he loves Pringles. That's all he eats is uh, cheddar cheese Pringles. So uh, shout out to Pringles. Send me some Pringles, man. Sponsor the show. That'd be amazing. My, then my kid could eat Pringles all the time. But uh, thanks once again for listening to this week's episode. I'm going to jump out of here. Next week on the program, I get to talk to John Tuttle from Code 7. I love Code 7 so much. I used to listen to Code 7 on tour all the time. It was like the CD never left the CD player. Uh, if you guys haven't heard of Code 7, they've been away for a while. They are back now, and I don't know if they're doing like full-on stuff. We talk about it a little bit in the conversation. But they are playing uh, like a reunion gig at... Furnace Fest down in Alabama, if if Furnace Fest happens with, with everything that's going on. And uh, the lineup for Furnace Fest is just insane. So go check out Furnace Fest. Just Google it. Check it out. But Code 7 is uh, one of my favorite bands. I love Code 7, especially when I was touring with Brazil. We played some shows with Code 7, and it's cool. We talk about it next week. Uh, we kind of share this weird thing. Code 7 covered The Boys of Summer by Don Henley, just like the Ataris did. And uh, that's some people just know them from that song, just like some people just know the Ataris from that song. So shout out to Don Henley for helping both bands. And uh, next week you're going to listen to it. It's going to be great. John's a good dude, and uh, it's a really good episode. So come back next week for that. And if you're not familiar, educate yourself. Go to Spotify and check out Code 7. You'll really, really like them a lot. And that's it for this episode. And I didn't know what to play. For the intro to uh, to Rick's episode, I did, you know, Damn It by Blink-182 because Rick is in that video. But I was thinking, you know, I don't need to promote Blink. You know, unless Tom or somebody comes on the show, I'm not going to promote Blink. But what I will do is I will promote one of my really awesome new favorite bands that Rick is working with. I love them so much. The Bomb Pops. They have a brand new record out on Fat called Death in Venice. 
friend of the show, Yotam from Useless ID, helped produce it. And it's killer, man. Uh, Vanessa over at Fat sent it to me, and I just, I love it. I love every track on the whole record. So make sure to go check out Death in Venice by The Bomb Pops. I feel bad they had all these, uh, you know, CD release shows planned and this big tour planned, and all of it got canceled. So if you guys can, you know, help out all of the artists that you love, you know, help out the Bomb Pops. They just released a record, and it'd be great if you went to fatrecords.com and you, or fatrec.com and you bought their stuff, or you go to iTunes, or even just streaming it, or whatever. But just any band that you love right now, they're hurting because they're not making any money. They can't tour. Bad Religions you know, tour got canceled. Pennywise's tour got canceled. Like all of these people that I know and love so much, they are now just sitting at home, not being able to share their art with people and make a living. So right now is good. If you get some extra money, go buy some merchandise, go buy a CD, buy some vinyl, do whatever you can. But I'm going to play uh, one of my favorite songs on the new Bomb Pops record. It's called Zero Remorse. I think they just released it as a single a couple days ago. But uh, yeah, Rick is managing them now, and I see some great things in their future. They're an amazing band, and Rick is an amazing manager. And you guys need to check out the Bomb Pops, as well as the Aqua Dolls. And while you're at it, go check out the other bands he worked with. Blink-182, Newfound Glory, Pennywise, Unwritten Law, all those bands. But this is just, <laughs> I can't even talk. I almost said No Remorse, and that's a Metallica song. But no, this is called Zero Remorse. It's on the new Bomb Pops record, Death in Venice, out on Fat right now. So check this out, and I will see you guys next week with John Tuttle from Code 7. As always, this is Chris. Stay healthy. I love you. Peace. Meticulous and clean. We were never seen.
Hey guys, it's Alice Lenny. In a detail, that's what I'm Well, hey friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.